This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from Go Abundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for Go Abundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. We all know today's guests. Brandon Turner. This guy's been around GoBundance for a little while. He's uh, He was on a podcast, too. I don't remember the name, but I think it's in his bio. So we'll figure it out as I read his bio. He is the founder and managing member of Open Door Capital, best-selling real estate author and widely recognized as one of the foremost experts on real estate investing. Over the past decade, Brandon has established a strong track record investing in multifamily, including apartments and mobile home park assets. He was also the host of the Bigger Pockets Pot. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Most downloaded real estate podcast in the world with well over 100 million downloads. Brandon, welcome. Wow. That was an amazing introduction. It's almost like I wrote it for you. (laughs) Well, it, and I love that you have oh, one of the foremost so experts on real estate investing in there. So okay, yeah, I did not, I did not actually write that. My assistant probably wrote that. I don't know where you got that from, but we're going to go with, we're going to blame Matt for that one. Sure, uh, sure. I'm also the janitor at, uh, you know, I was a janitor at Bigger Pockets for a good decade. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a good run. It was a good run. And now <laughs> well, I'm just hanging out in Hawaii watching Judge Judy every day. It's really good. Yeah. yeah, that's all I do. And stripping. We talked stripping. about that. We do yes. do a lot of stuff. In fact, yeah, we took a photo a few minutes ago before starting the recording of uh, a very provocative photo in which you commented on the color of my nipples. So yes. if people want to look at that photo, you better be following uh, Jamie over on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to see it. So that's that's, that's my plug right there. What's your Instagram handle? At the Jamie Gruber. The. There it is. Jamie Gruber. Right? All right. There it is. Go follow him. All right. That's right. I think there's another Jamie Gruber out there, but let's start oh, there. We should beat him up. Like it's like a it's like a prison yard thing. You can't have two that are like That's the right. alpha male. You can't have two. Yeah, you know, not gonna work. Send him threatening DMs. There we go. Like this it. is a great idea. So we're gonna st- we're gonna start not with nipples. <laughs> okay. We'll end there. We'll end okay, with here. Yeah, this train is off the tracks. All right. But we're let's let's start with the Bigger Pockets podcast. So you recently okay. left, and we're recording this early February 2022. Uh, you ended, I think, the last one you recorded was late December, maybe a broadcast recently. I'm not even sure to be honest with you, but yeah. that's a big decision, man. You were you were a stalwart there, man. You were the Bigger Pockets podcast, in my estimation. I'll just say that for me. I can't say that for everybody. David's amazing too. But Thanks, man. what was the decision there? Like, why? Why? Let's start with why leave. Yeah. Um, why leave? A couple, a couple of reasons. Number one, I just, so first of all, I'll say this, I love bigger pockets, always have, always will. I mean, I got my start. I didn't start bigger pockets, the uh, the website, Josh Dorkin did. Uh, I started the podcast with Josh uh, and then continued it after Josh left. So uh, my, my, uh, the best way I can say it is this, like my, my personal real estate and wealth building path has closely followed and been intertwined with bigger pockets for the last decade. And, that, and it's been an amazing thing. Uh, I was what you'd call an entrepreneur inside bigger pockets. So I, I mean, like I started just editing blog posts, but I was just like built stuff like, Hey, let's do a podcast. And then Josh was like, all right. And then we did that. And it was like, Hey, let's do webinars. And we did that. And I, I would build these little systems inside bigger pockets. Now in the beginning, I didn't know anything about marketing or business or computers or internet companies or tech or anything. I didn't know anything, but I just figured it out. And I found I had a knack for it. 
Uh, and I really love bigger pockets. I mean, they're helping millions of people achieve wealth and financial freedom. The problem with the podcast, now I, I've, I phased out of almost every area of bigger pockets that I had been in. Uh, in fact, I heard a quote, and this actually probably changed my life more than almost any other quote in the world. And I don't even remember who said it, but it was a billionaire who said, who was asked the question, why are you so successful? And his answer was, because I'm a quitter. And the interviewer said, well, what do you mean? He said, because everything I do in my business, I find a way to quit it. So someone better than me can do it uh, and I can move on to the next thing. And so I took that as like my like mission at Bigger Pockets is I would build something and then quit it and get somebody else to do it who is better. I'm really actually not very good at anything. So the one thing I never could quit was the podcast because I love the podcast. I love interviewing people. I love talking to people. So what finally happened was I just got to the point where I was spending so much time. We're doing two podcasts a week. We're going to bump up to three, maybe four. And it takes a lot of prep work and time. And I got two little kids at home and I was like, you you know, I started just feeling that that pressure of like trying to balance kids and family and then open door capital, which is my real estate company. We'll probably talk about that later. Blew. I mean, it just blew up like in a way that I would never expect it. I was hoping to buy like my big, hairy, audacious goal was $50 million of real estate by the end of 2021. We ended up closing the year at $300 million in real estate. Uh, and most of that came the final year. Like it just like, hockey stick curved up. So here I am trying to balance opener capital's wildly successful investment company, family life, surfing, jujitsu, and the podcast. And after almost a decade of the podcast, I finally decided I'm going to take a little break. And I was like, I'm just going to take a little month off. And once I tore away my identity from the bigger pockets identity, just even just a month, like I told myself a month and it, within like a few minutes of saying that and being like, okay, yeah, I'm going to take a month off. Cause I'd never really taken any time off. All of a sudden it was like, oh, like I'm my own person. And then there's bigger pockets. I could maybe take three months off. What if I did that? What if the, like, maybe they don't really need me because sometimes in a business, like we feel we're so important and like, oh, they need me. Uh, they don't need me. I mean, yeah, people like me on the podcast, but now since I've left, Bigger Pockets podcast actually dramatically improved. It's now the number two business podcast in the world behind only Dave Ramsey, which is nuts. And that's since I like, yeah, that hurts my ego a little because they're doing better now that I'm gone, but it just shows like I wasn't that important. So anyway, identity ripped away. And I was like, what if I just took like a year off? What if I just took indefinitely off and just said, Hey, I can always go back and jump in. But what if I just focus on family and focus on open door capital and a little bit of jujitsu? And, and that felt really good. It felt light. Have you heard that phrase light and heavy? Jason no. Drees talks about that. I, oh. Yeah. No. Changed my life is this concept of, does it feel light or does it feel heavy? Mm-hmm. So does it feel light? Meaning like when you think about that action or that task, does it feel like, Oh, yeah, that feels good. Or does it feel like, oh, like I can tell you, and it's not hard or easy, right? When like, I got a contractor buddy from back in Washington state where I used to live and he's been trying to talk to me for the last couple of days. And every time I see that text of like, Hey, are you free right now to talk? I'm like, oh, heavy, heavy. Even though it's a super simple thing. Like it's super easy, but it's heavy. But if it was like, Hey, can you analyze this 87 unit apartment complex? I'd be like, yeah, that feels good. It feels light. So anyway, so it finally did, when I thought about leaving, leaving the podcast, leaving the internet, the internet uh, education world and just focusing on family and, and open door capital, I just felt light. And that's just uh, when I, when I feel light, that's what I want to move toward. 
That's interesting because I, I think about, you know, when you talk about identity shift, like, you know, my story yeah. is I was an employee forever yep. and I identified as this executive and growing through this mm-hmm. company and everything else like that. And then having to sever that and change that was the hardest thing I've ever done, but the best thing I feel I've ever done. I'm how right do you, with you, how would you advise somebody on that? Like when they're at a point where they can feel that their things are a little bit heavy and maybe something yeah. else that they've built or something they're going toward is light. Is it that, is it sitting down and kind of auditing well, what happens if I stepped away? I don't know. Like, yeah, I struggle with like, how did I get there? I went through breakdowns to get there, mm-hmm. right? Like it was yeah. in tears, like what's wrong? Yep. I can't sleep Same. and all that. I mean, it doesn't sound like you went through that. It sounds like you went through a fairly, you know, I don't want to say it was an easy process, but for you, yeah. it was just sort of a, uh, here's a consideration. Then you grew on that. How would you advise somebody on on that identity shift to change their life and grow in a different direction? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, one comes from Tim Ferriss. He says in the four hour work week, something about doing a like worst case scenario analysis. I think is what he oh, called uh, it or something like that, right? Fear setting. Or, fear setting. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, what's the worst thing that would happen? Like, tell me your worst fears. Like, you know, you end up like losing your house and your job and your dog and your girl r- runs away. Like, it was like this whole like thing, right? And in reality, the, the, the worst case scenario is usually not very bad. So that's the first thing I, is, is think about like what really could happen if you left. Like, could you get another job again doing something similar? And if you don't, if you're feeling heavy at the job anyway, but you're making good money, could you, you know, could you survive on less money? So first of all, that worst case scenario analysis, I like doing. Uh, number two is I worked through my issues with a performance coach. So my coach is Jason Dries. I think you've talked to him before as well. Uh, Jason, like, and I have talked for five years now. And so I didn't do it alone. And that, that would be the advice is don't do it alone. Like find a friend, a, a, a mentor, a performance coach, a therapist, even find somebody to work through because it, it is a process to work through. And then the third thing is, like I said earlier, I had to rip that identity away just an inch. Like I didn't have to separate a mile. I just had to rip it an inch. So for me, it was take a month off. Maybe that's the same for you. Take a month off. Maybe it's take three months off, but just tearing the identity a little bit oftentimes then leads to, like, I could not have gone from Brandon on the podcast every single week, never misses an episode to I'm a hundred percent not on the podcast anymore. That was too big of a break for me. Just like for you, it was probably too big of a break to go from Jamie, the executive, the guy who's been at the company forever to entrepreneur. It's just a, it's just a huge tear that, that it's, if you can find a way to make the tear smaller, uh, it's better. And I actually did that at Bigger Pockets. Honestly, like over the last several years, I have been tearing that more and more. Like I stopped being an executive. In fact, I stepped down from like leadership a year ago where I was like, I, and I, I literally said to the team, I was like, I don't want to go to meetings anymore. Just period. If it's a meeting, I would not like to be there. And they were like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, I mean, if, that, if you don't like it, don't do it. And I was like, okay. So the, it, it already started like a year ago where I stepped out of the leadership and I was just the podcast guy in it. So anyways, you can step down. You don't have to tear it all at once. When you made this decision, and that's great advice, by the way, uh, and actually it resonates a lot with when I think about what what ended up happening for me, it was all those things. I just did it through chaos and craziness, <laughs> which is my my general way of being. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Um, but for you, for you, when you made that decision, finally, what was the hardest conversation you had to have with who? Oh man, uh, Josh Dorkin. So even though Josh had already left, so Josh was the founder of bigger pockets back in the yeah. day. Uh, but actually I told Josh and Scott, who was CEO now, bigger pockets. I told, and, and Scott is one of my best friends. Josh, one of my best friends. I love these guys to death, but I actually told them in person while they were sitting on my front porch or my lanai, as we call it here in Hawaii, we're just sitting there chatting and, uh, yeah, that was like, my heart was like, uh, again, Josh had already left several years ago. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was doing anything inappropriate or crazy. Like I was just doing what he did. Uh, but 
I just knew it was going to rock the rock the boat uh, quite a bit. But here's the truth about bigger pockets and about everyone listening about wherever you find yourself, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're working at a business, like it is very hard to grow a business that is completely dependent upon one person to be the linchpin as a, as the Seth Godin calls it, like being a linchpin is amazing. Like I was a linchpin at bigger pockets. I like, I could command what I wanted. I could say, I don't want to go to meetings anymore. And like, what are they going to do? Right. Because like, I'm, I'm such an important person. Uh, there's a great book out there called so good. They can't ignore you, uh, by, uh, shoot. What's his name? So good. They can't ignore you. Oh, that one. Uh, Anyway, so good. I can't remember the name. So good they can't ignore you. It's all about just being becoming that person that a company relies on. Now, as an employee, amazing position to be in because you can ask for a lot. You can truly get a four-hour work week if you are so good that they can't lose you in any company whatsoever, which is why I push so hard. And David Green is the same way. And I know you are as well. Be so good at your job that you are indispensable. Like really like it rather than the, the uh, when people are thinking financial freedom, what they though the natural inclination of people I know tend to do is they tend to get really crappy at their job. They like check out and they're like, well, I'm just going to, you know, do the bare minimum just to escape. I, cause I don't like this crappy job anyway. I say the opposite become amazing at your job and you can negotiate for flexibility. Anyway. Um, Cal Newport, so, by the way, Cal Newport, Cal Newport. Thank yeah. you. Cal yeah. Newport. He, every book he's written has been amazing. Uh, but uh, like deep work and digital minimalism and all that, but so good. They can't ignore. He's one of my favorites. And Anyway, so being a linchpin as an employee is an amazing position to be in. But as a business owner, having a linchpin in your company sucks. So, you know, so I own part of Bigger Pockets. I have some equity in the company. I'm a part owner. I like as an owner, having me as an employee, linchpin sucks because you it's really hard to sell a company, it's really hard to scale, it traps that person into and, and they can do if they get hit by a bus, you're in big trouble, right? So I look at it like I kind of shift my head from like employee to owner standpoint, and I had to get out as an employee so bigger pockets could stand on their own two legs or whatever you want to call it, four legs if you think of bigger pockets as an animal and run by themselves. And I had to rip that bandaid off at some point because I just can't be the guy forever, right? Dave Ramsey, I think is going through the same thing right now. Dave Ramsey's like an older guy, right? He's yeah, yeah. he's not gonna wanna work forever, but what happens to DaveRamsey.com when Dave Ramsey is no longer at DaveRamsey.com? It's a problem. And so I've seen what they've been doing. They've been bringing in more people and I don't know how effective it's gonna be, but when you build a business around one person, it's just dangerous and risky. So what I've seen now in the past few months is just bigger pockets flourish without me, which means the company itself is, is the asset, not a person. So if you're an entrepreneur out there, like you should not be the linchpin. No employee should be the linchpin. Try not to let that, let that happen if at all possible, because that makes, yeah, it slows it down. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's, that's, I love that point. And to your point about like, you know, when you're transitioning, I always say this, when I left my job, I did it at a point in time when I was high performing. I had systematized mm -hmm. my way really down to very few hours a week, even in that role. Like I figured out ways to kind of like limit the amount of time I needed yeah. to spend. And honestly, like, you know, for people that are like lamenting, oh, I just can't wait to get away from this day job. It's like, man, if you're working for a bigger pockets or whomever, right, they probably have processes, systems, mm -hmm. uh, ways of hiring, all of that stuff that are really valuable to know and maybe borrow a bit, not like their specific things, but like, how do they write out a process? What, yeah. where do they house it? Like, how do they develop this? What's their governance process look like? Like all of that stuff is great. If you're thinking, okay, I'm building something. I'm going to leave this one day. Well, yeah. look where you are right now, because they got it figured out in order to be the company they are and learn from that. Use that as like, okay, this is my market research for when I create my business. And that's one of the key, key aspects. Like 
well, there's a linchpin here to your point. And this person's at the top, like without them, everything fails. Like I can't do that in my company. So that's good learning that you can take from being there, which I, which I love. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, I was going to expand on that as one thing. Like, yeah, when you're at a job, I'll just reinforce this. When you're at a career job, you haven't left yet. You haven't gone into entrepreneurship or full-time real estate or whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Like that is the time to learn and really soak in and become amazing at the, cause you're getting paid to learn and to become amazing at it versus trying to make those mistakes on your own. Like I could not have built open door capital to what will likely be billions of dollars of real estate down the road without having or I mean, maybe I could have, but I would have made a ton of mistakes and lost a bunch of investor money and all that had I not made those mistakes and learned those lessons while getting paid to do it through bigger pockets. So I learned about hiring and about marketing and about systems and processes and people and what works and what doesn't, and how to inspire and how to fire and how to do all that stuff. I learned it while getting paid to do it. And then I took that and now I built another company very quickly because I had that. Uh, so a job, a job gets a bad rap sometimes, right? A, a job gets a bad rap is in, in our world world of like, oh, jobs suck. No, a job is an amazing thing. If you look at it as a tool and as a learning process and as something you can, you can grow. If you look at it as a means to getting a paycheck, yeah, jobs suck. But if, if even if you could be working, delivering pizzas at Domino's, I don't care. If you look at your Domino's delivery job as a, as a way to learn systems and process, I mean, the way that Domino's has nailed that system of delivering pizza to people in 30 minutes, like what an incredible, like billion dollar lesson that you get paid to learn. Yeah. All of a I sudden your crappy, yeah, $10 an hour job is so, suddenly now a million dollar an hour job of what it's going to give you. One thing you mentioned in there, and it's I was I want to talk about open door capital, like in the in the in the this is me. I'm gonna go everywhere, but I, I want Everyone. to talk about marketing. You talked about you learned about marketing. I know how passionate you are about marketing. And the reason I want to talk about marketing is as I'm looking up Cal Newport for this book, there's a missed yeah. text or a, a text uh, notice on my phone uh from Brandon Turner behind the beard. I got that just now oh, as we're talking, now, right? Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah, you just so got my them, got my email. That's my it. Text. So that's marketing, it. <laughs> marketing is something I think is appropriate. That's like a signal to be like, all right, let's yeah. talk about that first. Then we'll get into open door capital and some other things. Yeah. What, what did you, what is it that you learned in your time at Bigger Pockets about marketing versus maybe yeah. what you naturally inclined to be as a marketer? Where did that, was it developed? I know there's like eight questions in there, but just talk about yeah, yeah. You know, your, your marketing prowess and maybe how it was developed at Bigger Pockets or, or the other way around. Yeah. 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 I, I got a great answer for this. So the thing that I learned from Josh Dorkin, I mean, I learned a lot from Josh Dorkin. Josh is an amazing entrepreneur uh, who started Bigger Pockets. But the thing I learned, and honestly, I don't even know if he knew this when he started Bigger Pockets, but he did it. And that is when you focus first and primarily on building your audience, the like and trust and the, the brand, like the audience, the people that follow you before you work on uh, monetization, you can do anything you want. Like when you have millions of people who know, like, and trust you, you can do whatever you want. Uh, and so, so many companies out there, I mean, so many companies out there have cool products, cannot sell them because they don't have an audience. They don't have anybody who likes them. So you might go build this amazing mousetrap and you're like, this is the coolest mousetrap. Look at what, how it does. And you're like, Hey, you should buy it. And everyone's like, all right, there's lots of mousetraps out there. Have a good day. And like, it's just noise. You're just noise. But when you have an audience of people who know, like, and trust you, like Bigger Pockets has a diehard audience of people who know, like, and trust everything that we do over there. And I personally now have an audience of people who know, like, and trust me. If I wanted to sell coffee, I can sell coffee. I literally have a coffee brand now. That has nothing to do with real estate, 
but people know, like, and trust me. So they buy Beardy Brew Coffee. Beardybrew.com. Get yours today. Uh, all profits go to charity. Um, true story. But like, I can do that because people know, like, and trust me. When I say, hey, I've got a great real estate deal and I've got thousands of people who see my life and how I do things, they then fund my deals. Uh, and so marketing, what I've learned is really like at, at its core, is getting a lot of people to know, like, and trust you. And there's a million ways to do that, right? Like I'm good on camera or at least good on microphones. Like I like talking, like maybe I talk too much, uh, but therefore I build my audience through those mediums. Now, some people might be really good at writing. They might build their, their audience that way and build a trust and credibility through writing blog posts or writing articles in the newspaper or whatever, right? Uh, other people are really good at direct mail marketing, maybe to build it like doing paid sources, like whatever it is that you like, oh yeah, I get fired up by that thing. Then focus on that thing. Uh, and if it, and if if you can get people to know, like, and trust, you can do whatever you want. And that's really like the power behind Open Door Capital is that just millions of people know, like, and trust me. So when I'm like, hey, I got an $80 million apartment building. Anybody want to help me fund it? It was like 36 hours later, we had funded the whole thing. It was nuts. Like we raised like $25 million in cash in like three days or something like that, or two days. It was nuts because they know I can trust me. So that that was the core marketing is focus on, on, on those systems and processes, which is to go full circle here, what you mentioned a minute ago, you got that text message from me. Now, for those who don't know what you're talking about, I have a text message newsletter that goes out every single week. It's called Great. Behind the Beard, Right. I send out like what book I'm reading. I send out something that I can like teach just some kind of thing that I'm like, Oh yeah, this is a cool, the cool thing I can talk about. Uh, usually a random picture I just took from my phone that week. Just something that makes people smile, makes me laugh, makes a, a point of some kind. Uh, and then a few other things in there, right? I answer some Q and a questions. Now, why do I do that? Because I know that down the road, two years, five years, 10 years down the road, if I have millions of people's phone numbers, and the ability to text them anytime I want to. Now, I'm not going to spam them, but when I have a deal I need to raise money for, guess how I'm going to do that? Through the text letter. And every week, because I'm providing value, 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 value to people, I'm not asking for anything. I'm just giving people value. Then they know, like, and trust me. And then I can use that in the future. And so uh, that's that's marketing 101 in yeah, Brandon Turner School. An affinity-based brand, right? Yeah, is what you yeah. did. How, how, like you started out as a blogger, if I'm not mistaken, right? You had a, a did, blog, yeah. uh, a website, uh, wealth under 30, something like that. I'm, I, I probably yeah. butchered that, but um, real estate, real estate in your 20s. Real estate in your still, 20s. Yeah. Still there, haven't updated it in a year or 10 years, but yeah, still there. <laughs> I knew it was under 30 something, but how, how was, was that, was there intent behind that? Or was it just something that served who you were and something you enjoyed doing? Like, what was the, why did you start it? Like, what was that? Like, is that a natural inclination? Like, oh, Hey, I can leverage marketing to build real estate investors and, and eventually, or I'm sorry, building a real estate investing pool and eventually raise capital. Like, were you thinking about that in your twenties or was it no. like, I really yeah. enjoy putting out content and helping people and sharing and da, 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 da. It serves my personality. So you went with it. I'm kind of curious what that was. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was 27 years old, I achieved like level one financial freedom. Now, when I say level one financial freedom, I mean like the ability to pay your basic bills. Mm -hmm. Now that to me was about 3000 a month and I did it through rental property. So I bought like a duplex, a single family house, a triplex, another single couple, single families, a uh, fourplex, I think a five unit and then a 24 unit. And so I had like 35 ish units and I sold a few of them in that process, but I basically had like 35 units, each making around a hundred bucks a month in profit each unit. And so total units gave me about three grand a month, a little over in profit. So now I quit my job. I was working at a bank before that quit my job. And I sat on the couch, kind of like I'm, I jokingly do right now. Like I was jobless and I was like, well, what do I do now? 
And I don't even know. I, I, this is a true story. I started downloading, like illegally downloading ebooks from like one of those bit torrent sites, like Kazaa or one of those things. Remember those back in the day? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I, was, I just liked to like, yeah, I think Bear I typed Bear. in like get rich quick or something stupid, probably like that, or make money online or something like that. I was just like, kind of like 27. I'm sitting at home. I'm still doing the real estate thing, but I was like, I, I got a lot of free time. How do I make money just sitting here on my couch? And uh, I started downloading these, like these, e- like I think four hour work week I downloaded. I've since bought it, Tim. If you're listening to this, I have since bought your book, but I think I downloaded the four hour work week and read that. And, uh, so I got got really excited about the idea of internet entrepreneurship. Now, some people read a book like Four Hour Work Week, and they don't get excited about internet entrepreneurship at all. But for me, there's just like this fire in my belly. I was like, oh, I get it. Oh, that fires me up. So, it, I, for whatever weird reason in life, I just I was drawn to internet marketing as a business. So I st- I started a couple ideas, and nothing really panned out. And I thought, well, what am I good at that I could teach? that maybe later on I could sell like an ebook or something like that. And the idea was real estate. And then I was like, well, everyone does real estate and bigger pockets is out there. And there's a few other big ones that were, you know, bigger than bigger pockets at the time. And I was like, so how do I compete with that? Well, I need to be more specific, which goes to a second point, by the way, about marketing is never market to everyone. Try to be the cross point between two niches. So there wasn't just, it wasn't just, I'm the real estate guy. I was the real estate guy for young people. You see, like, like, all of a sudden then I'm like people who are young and wanted real estate. They're like, Oh, that's my guy because he's so specific. Like the riches are the niches they say, right. By being specific in your marketing, you are much more likely than just being super broad. It's the same with anything, right? If I went to you and I was like, Jamie, I want a job. And you're like, okay, well, what are you looking for? I'm like anything. You'd be like, okay, well, good luck. But if I was like, Hey, I'm looking for a job at like a hospital because I'm a nurse somewhere in like the Detroit area. You'd probably, then you start going, oh, how do I help this guy? Who, who do I know that works at a hospital, right? So being specific makes people more likely to work with you. The same is true for marketing. So anyway, so I did real estate in your twenties and I started blogging and uh, I sold a calculator. This is my grand scheme for making money. I was going to sell a calculator for $19 uh, for a spreadsheet on how to analyze a rental property. And I still, 10 years later, I've not touched, I've not even touched the website, not even logged on in 10 years. And I still sell like one calculator a week. So I'm making like 20 bucks a week right now off really? of uh, that website. Yeah. Look at me rolling in it. Uh, but people are still visiting it. That's amazing. <laughs> How, like, yeah. so did, did it sell a bunch when it was in its heyday? No, not really. I think I never made more than maybe 500 bucks in a month. But <laughs> uh, but I remember this. This, this is what changed a, a little bit. The, a, a, a guy calls me one time. Well, he emails me and he says, hey, my name is Chris Guthrie with, uh, I think his website at the time was make money on the internet.com. He has since had multiple businesses after that, but it was Chris Guthrie with make money on the internet.com. Well, that was one of like the blogs that I like consumed and like read all the time. And here he is reaching out to little Brandon for advice about real estate. And my mind was blown. Like this is a celebrity. It's like Tom Cruise basically is emailing me and he wants to know about real estate. This is, a, and then I realized like that, that having a blog is more than making $19 on a calculator. It's about relationship. It's about reaching people and building, like at least that's a big piece of it, is reaching people and building deeper relationships with people, especially people who are uh, uh, who I can work with in the future in some ways. Anyway, me and actually Chris became really good friends over the years. We've done uh, yeah, a ton of stuff together. He's, he's amazing. Um, but 
that was a big piece of it when, when I realized that there was more than just some dollars we made. And that actually led me to become friends with Josh Dorkin. I built a relationship with Josh Dorkin, which led to the podcast, which led to you and me becoming friends, which led yeah. to this moment right here. So it all came down to that, this, the all my entire life. Yeah, all the milestones. You all, just the milestones. all the major milestones. <laughs> they have all led to this very moment right here. It's my it. peak of my life right here, man. This, that's, this, this well, is that's good. Sad. I, I feel now bad for you <laughs> if that's the case, but I appreciate you saying that. What? So have you ever read The Big Leap, Gay Hendricks? You know, I have the book sitting on my shelf and I have not read it. I wonder if I have it's it because of you. Amazing book, maybe. I, he's actually, I am talking to him tomorrow. He's going to be coming ah, on the podcast. Look at you, incredible guy. Incredible author. It's yeah, about I got time you got some good guests on here. I mean, you got to put up with guys like me. Yeah, he's oh. not hairy, which I appreciate. Yeah, I know. Like, you yeah, know, I kind of have this thing. <laughs> yeah, you but can borrow some mine if you want. If you ever need I should. I should. I actually went mm-hmm. as hairless as possible. Okay, so good. So we could have a, a major contrast mm-hmm. in your naked nipple photo. This is just- I'm about to post right <laughs> after this. Right? Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> But he has this, the book is about going from your zone of excellence to your zone of genius. And I feel like, Mm. like when I look at your trajectory, I mean, we talked uh, prior to like, you know, going from where your net worth is to, or was to where it is now quickly in two, three years. Right. And like you said, it's kind of a a range of depending on valuations and all that stuff, but still you've scaled and have grown so fast over the last few years, granted with a lot of foundational work over the past six, seven prior to that. Right. So like, you know, it's, it's that hockey stick thing that you talked about, but you're in your zone of genius. I feel like. What would you describe that as for you? What is your zone of genius? What is your superpower? What is your special gift that you give the world? Sure. How would you define that? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll explain it this way. Um, if, if you're listening to this right now and you and you have the ability to grab a pen and paper, grab a pen and paper and write these four, I'm going to give you four words to write down or four phrases. Okay. Um, this is something I've been thinking a lot about over the last six months on what did I do different with this, like opener capital than everything else. Yeah. And this is kind of the framework I've come up with. Number one. So the, the most people, when they start anything new, any kind of business, they start at what I call the DIY level. I can do it myself. Like, like when I got into real estate, I did my own painting. I found my own deals. I did everything myself. There's nothing wrong with DIY, but that's what people do. If you wanted it today, let's say you were going to go start a business and the business was uh, door-to-door selling of vacuum cleaners. You just believe that vacuums are the future and door-to-door selling vacuums are a big deal. A DIY mindset person. And this is most people in the world because most people are employees. And what do employees do? They do the things. They're the DIYers of the company. So, right. Yeah. They're the front line. So they, they take the knowledge of their job and they go apply it to their entrepreneurship thing or whatever. So they're, they're going to, they're going to go door to door and haul that vacuum door to door. And they're going to go sell that vacuum. The next level though, that people then sometimes move up to not always, and sometimes people start is what I call the project manager level. So we have DIY is the first one. Second one is project manager. A project manager is somebody who, who like grabs another person to go do the actual task for them. So for example, hey, buddy from college, come over here and go door to door and sell this vacuum. I'll line up the appointments for you. I'll take care of all this stuff. It's just kind of us figuring it out, but you're the one actually doing it. So I'll give an example in the real estate space. I hired my mother-in-law at one point to answer phone calls. It was still my, like I was still doing everything, but I was like, I'm tired of answering phone calls from tenants. So Rachel, you handle all tenant interactions and I don't want to do it anymore. I'll pay you 500 bucks a month. Perfect. That's me being a project manager, right? Or if you're like a house flipper, you might start subbing out a bunch of contract, you know, hire a bunch of contractors. You make sure they're doing their job, but you're really like in charge. Like you're there and like when they don't show up, you're over there painting the wall because they didn't show up. Next level. Next, I call these are mindsets, I guess, mindset levels. And the next one I call the COO, like chief operating officer. So what does a COO of a company do? 
they typically establish a team. Like there's a team and there's a, there's a, there's like a hierarchy. There's employees, there's an HR manager. There's probably a director. Like they build a, they build a team. So now door-to-door salesman, this is how, now you might move up in your door-to-door salesman company to build the team, to get the COO level. Or if you were a COO mindset level at another career or another job, you might come in and right away from day one, do that example. You were a COO here. So now you're going to go start a, a vacuum company. The first thing you do is you go hire an HR person. You hire a director of the, uh, sales. You hire three salesmen and you hire a bookkeeper, right? And then you you rent a, build, a building, you put them all in there and then you're just meeting with them every week. And you run like from day one, you never even touch a vacuum cleaner. You are the COO of that company. You show up to work every day at nine to five and you run a very good company. Nothing wrong with COO level. All these levels are fine. There's nothing wrong with any of them. Uh, the fourth level, though, is something, and this is where it answers your question. Oh, is what I, yeah, yeah, I can't. I, okay, I call it the architect level. So the architect, and not so much the architect of like designing buildings, but more of the architect from like the uh, Matrix. If you remember the Matrix, the architect yeah. was like the one that like designed the whole thing. Like the architect is like this is what I want to have happen. And it just happens. Uh, some examples of great architects in the world would be like Richard Branson. Richard Branson owns 150 some companies or that, you know, I'm sure that fluctuates all the time. Like he doesn't, he doesn't meet every week with his director of operations of his random X, Y, Z company that, you know, he just like says, I want this done and it gets done. Now, uh, another great example of an architect, David Osborne, Right now, it's no it's no coincidence that David has learned a lot, uh, you know, from uh, uh, Richard Branson, because, you know, that's just what people do. But he, another great example is is David is an architect. He has like the idea like, oh, I, I think a podcast would be great. And he goes and buys a podcast or he's like, hey, I think this company would be cool. He might go buy that company or he'll go and hire a CEO or a COO to go and build that company. You see, like that's an architect. An architect doesn't doesn't do a whole lot of anything other than they they at a very, very high level. So let me pull this all together. So you got DIY, you have a project manager level, you have a COO level, and you have this like architect or visionary, some people might call it, like this person that just like sees it and gets it and makes it happen. Now, I said this before and I'll say it again. No level is bad. There's nothing wrong with any of the levels. However, every level has a limit like at how high you can go. You will never become a multimillionaire, like, you know, 10, 20, $50 million being a DIYer selling vacuum cleaners. You just cannot go door to door that much, right? I don't even know if you can do it being a project manager. Maybe being a CEO, you maybe can. But the higher up mindset level you go, the less you work and the more money you make. So what does it have to do with your question? Um, I feel like my superpower or maybe a better word that I use is like, I feel most aligned today in that architect role. And I have always been in the other three. I've DIY'd it at bigger pockets and in my own real estate. I have project managered it at bigger pockets and in my own real estate. And I have COO'd it, it, it never officially at bigger pockets, but I've been like, you know, that guy. And then in my own real estate. And I've never liked any of it. I've never felt good and aligned and like this feels light and it feels amazing until I finally understood what an architect is. And a lot of that was just hanging around with David Osborne and seeing what he did. And then all of a sudden I stepped into that and I built Open Door Capital from day one without me doing anything. Like that sounds ridiculous, but I never, I never was like, I'm going to go analyze all these deals. Because I, I'm like, I'm I, from day one, I was like, who's going to run this for me? And it started with Ryan Murdoch running it for me. And now today, Ryan's on the board and we moved up uh, Walker Meadows. Walker runs the whole thing for me. I meet with Walker once or twice a week, make sure he's doing this stuff. He runs the company. 
And that's why I feel so good and aligned and on fire and I'm in the right spot because because I'm finally where I feel most aligned. So that's a, a very long answer to that. But uh, that was incredible. Yeah. Well, thank well, you. Here's I, I, there's one thing I want to I want to say, and then I want to yeah. ask this question. And it's funny you say that. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Brian Murray that I bumped into at one of the GoBundance events, and he was saying like the thing he's learned from you is that, like mm. he he considers himself maybe more COO, but mm. he's like the thing I get from Brent is like this is what I am and this is what I do, and I stay in that lane. Like I don't deviate. I don't I don't take on COO or project manager or DIY responsibility in this company. That's not the highest and best use of me. So what you just said, man, that brings that conversation so full circle. And again, he he watching you learning from you. I think I'm pretty sure it was him um, uh, said that exact thing about well, you. So. I, if, he, if he did, I mean, I've learned a thousand times more from Brian than he ever learned from me. Smart dude. But He's Brian a dude. is a wicked smart dude. But he, yeah. he got that from you. And even even uh, he talks about you being in your gift around, you know, picking up a phone and, hey, talk four minutes on this thing. And like you said, you can do it. Right? <laughs> you, can, you can do that. Well, yeah, I so resonate if, with that. Yeah, that's, yeah you can do it, too. For me, I can do that. I mean, I don't have yep. the, the brand that you have yet, or I don't have the the, the following. You will, you man. Do, you will. But there's two questions on this. One is, can anybody be an architect? Or is this is this yeah. just uh, like, you know, hey, are some people aligned at the COO level? Like architect would be that heavy for them. Like, can anybody yeah. be, should everybody aspire to be? Or is it like you said, none of these are wrong. Which yeah. one aligns with you? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I, I think anybody can be, but I agree that some people might just feel heavy at the architect level because our, what an architect typically does is they, their job is to inspire and to attract. Uh, Gary Keller is another great example of an architect. Gary Keller, I mean, he, it's not that he doesn't work. I'm sure the guy works a ton of hours. It's the guy who founded Keller Williams, but like he's, he is very much the visionary sees what's going on. So, um, where was I going with that? So yes, you have to inspire. Yeah. You have to inspire, you have to attract and you have to lead at like a cultural level. Like, like you have to get people on board and fired up with what you're doing. And some people just would not feel comfortable with that. They would, they're way more comfortable having meetings every day with their team and holding people accountable. Uh, but they just need to recognize that either a, there's a limit to how high you can grow as a COO. You're likely always going to be like working nine to five. Like you're not working four hours a week being the COO of a company, most likely. Um, and by the way, when I say COO, it doesn't necessarily mean that's your title. It's just oh, the way I look at it, right? Yeah, 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 I get it. So I think that you can be perfectly happy in any of these levels. In fact, I am DIY in some areas of my life right now like that. And I'm perfectly happy there. Uh, there are areas of like, for example, my... um. I would actually put myself more project manager. I have a vacation rental business out here in Maui. Like I don't run that like an architect. I don't want to run it like an architect. I like being involved. And so I'm more project manager. I got one assistant. His name's Matt. Matt does all that, that stuff, but I still show up to the property when we're renovating and I show up there. I've even had to hang all the stuff and had to do some painting and like, because I couldn't get a contractor there in time and people were coming to stay. And it was like, I was project manager. I have no problem with that. Uh, because an architect, like it requires some like level of like, uh, commitment to growing large. Cause it's yeah. kind of, it's, you know, like, and it's riskier. Like if, if I was going to go be an architect, so here's how I would approach it. Let's say I wanted to approach the D uh, the, sorry, the vacation rental business, like an architect, what would, here's a, by the way, the best way to figure out what the level would do is think about who's in that level. I said earlier, Richard Branson, David Osborne, Elon Musk. So ask yourself WWDOD. What would David Osborne do, right? What would, yeah, WW Dodd. What would David Osborne do? 
If David Osborne was going to go start a vacation rental business today, what would David do? I mean, I, I can't speak for David, but my guess is he would find somebody who's been in vacation rentals for a long time and had success with it, but had never scaled it. He would say, hey, why don't you come work for me? Take 50% of the company or 30% or 65 or whatever the percentage is. I'll give you my resources, my people, and I'm going to set some expectations of what I want to see. And I want you to go and hire five people underneath you, three, con- you know, two contractors, an acquisitions person, and a bookkeeper. And you go run with it and run, run your company. But this is what I expect. I want to have 15 properties by the end of the year. Sound good? And that person would be like, yeah, that sounds great. And then David would check up on them a few months later or a month. Like that's what I imagine now. If David's listening to this, I'd love to know if I'm accurate or not. But when you ask that question, what would somebody in that role do? Now it it helps you get a line. Oh, well, if I want to be there, then I better do that. So again, vacation rentals, that's what I would probably do. I'd, I'd probably go to my Instagram and say, hey, who's really good at vacation rentals and wants to run my vacation rental business, apply here. I'd find one person. In fact, I'd have my assistant find that person and I would just do the final interview and I'll run you, with it. How, all right, so let's let's get tactical a little bit on yeah. this. So let's say, I mean, you started out before Open Door Capital, you were making uh, you know, your income from some bigger pockets. You had a yeah. portfolio of real estate, right? But you, you know, by by all accounts, I, I don't think you were like rolling in it, let's say, right? Like rolling. I don't think it was like, yeah, rolling in it. Um, almost sounds like weed in some ways. <laughs> I'm rolling um, it. Rolling, rolling it, man. not in rolling it, but it. it, yeah. So so how do you start a company? So if somebody's listening and they say, yeah. okay, I make a decent living as W2. I've got a couple of properties that I've bought. And I, I yeah, I, I resonate yep. with this architect thing, man. That makes sense to me. This yep. visionary, all of that stuff. I'm going to start a company, uh, uh, you know, uh, two doors capital, whatever the hell it's going to be, right? Or yep. closed door capital. What, how do you bring on talent that can be compensated yeah. and all of that if you don't have the financial resources starting out in order to compensate yeah. people? Like, how do you enroll that? The people, good quality people into yeah. that business as an architect. Yeah. A couple of thoughts come to mind. First of all, it is, it is harder with like the, the higher mindset level you go, it's also usually more expensive, right? If you're going to go hire five people right off the bat, it might yeah. cost you half a million dollars a year. So just, it may, however, there's always ways around that. Now you may have to sacrifice some, for example, when I actually built open door capital, when I started, I did not pay any salaries. I just like my very, the first iteration of Open Door Capital three years ago was three people. It was me, Ryan, and one other gentleman who's super cool, but he ended up not working out. And we were like, let's just do third, third, third. We'll all split it a third of the way. Like Ryan takes a third, I take a third, he takes a third. And that was our plan. Now I, and I was like, even in that point, I was still architect. I just had to give up majority of my company to be architect. Uh, that, that might be what you have to do at that level. Um, or just start at a lower level where maybe start a project manager instead of DIY or start at COO and, and work your way up if you need to. But yeah, the way to do it is typically you give away equity uh, or you be creative. Uh, and this also goes back to the, the, the value of having many people know, like, and trust you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even more importantly than raising money is my ability to raise talent. Uh, I once heard Gary Keller say something along those lines about like, like the primary job of a CEO, CEO is to attract talent. More that's that's the number one task for CEO. Uh, and I'm probably butchering the quote, but it's so true. I mean, David, like when I think of David Osborne, he is a talent scout. That's what he does. And all the best people I know, like all the top, the genius people I know that are just wicked good at business, what they're good at is being a talent scout. That's what they're doing. They're always scouting for talent 24-7. They're looking for talent, looking for who can who they bring in their life to make wealthy. And notice yeah. that I said, not that that's going to make them wealthy, but no, who can right. they bring into their life that they can make wealthy? They can, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah David and, has an objective, uh, yeah. I think, of seven people reporting to him making a million dollars a year. I think that's his, I love it. his yeah. title title goal right now. Uh, yeah. And you think about it, Matt King. We both know Matt, his yep. uh, his right hand. He's been on the podcast before. We talked about it's how me. an integrator yeah. could find or a visionary could find an integrator and all that stuff. But Matt was that. His story was like this guy said, I don't know how I'm going to use you, but yeah. I like you. I think you can add value. I'm going to pay you, you know, 20 grand. I mean, it wasn't much, but moved yeah. to Austin. And Matt said, yeah, let's go. And now Matt is, you know, fast climbing as the right hand of David, if you will, and, uh, and, and growing his business that way. Go ahead. looks like you have a point to make. Well, just that, that is such a good point to make there. It's, it's very difficult to just bring on, like, let's say you want to start at architect level. Like David, David didn't start necessarily even in his own life with Matt as architect. Like he was, he was like, Matt, I want you to be, uh, you know, COO of my life. I want you to run this, these four businesses. He didn't do that. Right. Because we, he had no idea Matt King was going to be good. I had no idea Walker Meadows was going to be good. My, my COO right now, Walker, started as an unpaid intern for me. He was, his only job was to help me underwrite some deals. And I had, I brought on 10 interns and he ended up like rising as like the leader of the interns. And so then we're like, well, do you want to come on as like our like assistant, like deal, like acquisitions guy. And then he did that. And then he became like the lead acquisitions guy. And then he got promoted from there. And like, now he runs the entire company. It's all under him. And he does an amazing job. We didn't know that at the time. Just like I had three partners in the beginning, me, Ryan, the other guy, the other guy didn't work out. Super good guy. Still love him. Didn't work out, just didn't fit. And you never know until you work with someone. And so I love finding ways to, and this is another thing I learned from Bigger Pockets, but I love finding ways to just get people working with me and to find out like, how can we elevate them? How can we raise the people who are good? Which also circles back to our conversation earlier about being so good, they can't ignore you. If you have a dead end job and you feel like you suck, like the job sucks, it's because you, it's honestly, it's because you suck. Like that's just what it is. Because if you're awesome, you wouldn't be doing that job. You would have been elevated by now. Because every single boss in the world is looking for good people. Every owner is looking for great people. Um, almost that's without, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was, that's one of those moments where I wish I had that graphic where like a bomb drops, like a nuclear explosion. That's such a great, <laughs> great point. Like if you are that good, you wouldn't be there. It's on you. Yeah. I love that accountability. That's incredible. And by the way, Walker Meadows, I wish I had a name like Walker Meadows, man. Like, you know, being a five foot two pasty white dude, like that would have been a great name to at least have credibility with, you know, with women when I was younger. Uh, it is Meadows. a pretty suave name. Yeah, it's a suave name. It's, it's pretty good. It ain't He's a good dude. That's awesome. Yeah. So, awesome. Uh, so find point being find ways to get people into your life, look for talent, find ways to start them doing simple tasks, elevate them as, as they work out. Well, uh, again, go back to the, the, I mean, let, let's, let me go this way. Let's yeah. say you wanted to start a, uh, an architect role and you wanted to start a flipping business and you wanted to make a million bucks a year flipping houses profit. Mm. So what does an architect do? They bring in, they bring in a CEO or COO or whatever to run the company. They'd bring in like the whole team, they, the COO would build a team uh, and they just, you know, make sure that they're doing the numbers. Uh, they, as long as they're hitting the numbers, the team gets paid and the architect then doesn't have to worry about it. So that makes sense. We're like, an architect isn't like out $500,000 a year just because he hired five people. He's only out a couple months until he gets the first paycheck, hopefully. And in, in a lot of businesses like uh, flipping houses or other things like that, you get the cash pretty quickly coming in to be able to afford those people. So for example, now today I've got 20 people on payroll at Open Our Capital, but we make more than that, more than enough to cover them through our acquisition fees uh, by buying property. So as long as we hit our numbers, the, the money comes in. So uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm just saying like, it's not that hard uh, to be an architect. Even if you have to start DIY, you can elevate quickly, make it happen over six months, not six years, not 60 yeah. years. Yeah. 
and you're still providing returns. I'm a open door capital fund investor. And I, I just, there we go. There we go. Thanks, man. Thanks for being a, uh, thanks for being a, uh, a member of the team. Well, it's funny, you know, not being, I mean, interesting because you said it like why would i like you know we know each other but like we're not around each other all the time I yeah. text here and there and see each other at events or whatever but yeah the brand you built you know the person i know you to be at least you know from what i see publicly as well as the the few interactions we've had privately it's like yeah i have to place some capital here like where do i want to put it like i have quantum capital and partner in that and of course i place yeah. capital there but i want to diversify and yeah open door in fact it's funny the the last deal that you mentioned like i got the email too late. Like, oh shit, they're already, <laughs> they're already funded. Well, let me go on their website and you have a fund. So I was like, oh, yeah. all right, I think I'm a C-class investor on, on, nice, uh, on, on that fund. But that's the point. Like that is that, that affinity based brand that you have that put me into your fund, you know, to be honest with you. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being in the fund. And I, I the, closely related is this, I, I had somebody, this goes back to marketing a little bit, but I had a gentleman in my fund say something to me that I, that's kind of rocked my world. And I, I love it. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. It's going to sound like a compliment to myself, uh, but it's more about the point of what I'm trying to make here. He said, the reason I invested in open door capital is because of how you talk about your wife online. The reason I invested in open door capital, your real estate business is because you, how, because of how you talk about your wife. What? Like, how does that even make sense? But it does because right. Values is how you do anything is how you do everything. And so your persona online is being watched by people. So marketing is not just the letter you send to your investors that says, Hey, fund my deal. It's not just the pitch deck you put together for that one, the VC team or uh, the mentor you want to take on. Marketing is everything of how you do your life. And so like, how you do everything. And so like, if people feel like they know me because they see me talk about my wife and my kids and Rosie and Wilder and my struggles and the fact that I've like, I have such a, like my biggest self-esteem issue has always been my voice. I hate my voice. I think I sound horrible. I'm awful. Like, and like, yet here I am like on one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Like God has a sense of humor, obviously, but by like now you you, people hear that and they're like, Oh, I know Brandon. I get, cause I, I am self-conscious about my voice too. I guess I can resonate with Brandon as a person. And then that can, uh, you know, they, then they'll give money to my fund investment me because they know I'm not going to just disappear. Cause they know that at least they have a pretty good indication of the kind of person I am compared to a lot of other just random people they could put their money with. So I think vulnerability is such, it's, it's mm. like a currency an undervalued currency in the space of personal branding. Right. And I'm learning this yeah. as I kind of build my brand. And I honestly, I watch you and that's not, that's not blowing smoke or because you're the guest here. I, I do. I watch well, and thanks. see like, what does he do? And it's just raw, like even a screw up. Like when I record something and I'm going to put it out, like I, I put, I put out a thing the other day, like a tweet, uh, that I, that I re- repurposed as a, as an Instagram post it had like eight misspellings, <laughs> like <key laughs> words, like big words, like identity said, identify. It's like your identity. And oh, it said, you're identified. I'm like, I'm looking at like, whatever, man, that's just, I was in a moment. I had this yep. thought. I wanted to get it out quick. I didn't review it. Maybe that's a, a, a mark on me for not doing so, but <laughs> I just put it out. But to your point, I think there's a lot to say it's about being yeah. vulnerable and authentic and putting stuff out there. And truthfully, we talked a moment ago about value alignment. Like I partnered with Mark Henteman because I met him in GoBundance. Yep. Love that. Quantum Capital. Mark's an amazing dude, you know, big time writer, all that stuff. But his values were around contribution and giving and, and making sure others get before he does and all of that stuff. And I see the life he's built. So it's like, yeah. I'm so drawn to that as well as you and your brand. Here's my question for you. When did you feel, did you ever, maybe do you now still feel confident in saying, hey, this is what I'm great at? 
and and really own that without feeling silly or like you're being judged. Like for instance, I say, man, if you ask me what truly I feel like my purpose in life is, especially my job, like I really feel like I'm built to inspire and motivate others to live their best life. But I feel goofy saying that sometimes, even now, like, who do you think you are? Tony Robbins? Like, what is this? Like, <laughs> but you own this role. And I love that you do. You own this role of architect, visionary. You know, you, you know who you are. You know, is that something you struggle with admitting? Or do you feel fully confident in who you are, what value you bring to the world? And when did you feel like you, you, were, you, you were able to say that confidently without, without, you know, shirking or being shy about it, if ever? Maybe you always were able to. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that means that means you don't understand the question. No, I got no, I got yeah, no, I got it. The day I the, I can tell you the day that I felt like I confident saying it was the day I put in my notice at Bigger Pockets. Uh, like just because, now, just now. Like I I never felt really comfortable saying it until I kind of proved it. I guess like I yeah. left, like I left, and even like you made a comment earlier about how my my content has like changed a bit over the last couple of months. Yeah. Um, I think there's a confidence that come with like I did it. I grad. I we at Bigger Pockets we actually call it graduation. When somebody leaves to go pursue real estate full time, we call it graduation. Uh, so yeah. I graduated from Bigger Pockets uh, to do like you know, the, the next level. And I was like, all right, now like I feel like I can talk. I mean, I'm, I'm always, I can fake confidence all day long. Uh, but like, I feel pretty darn good right now about this. I like what I'm doing and what works now. Do I always do it right? Not, not at all. Right. Like what I'm still DIYing stuff every day. Uh, but I feel so much more confidence in this. Like I am in my spot. I am here. I'm in this role. And, and the thing that actually makes me like fall out of it is when I start feeling like, Oh, I should be doing more work or because, Oh, my team's out there actually doing the work. I should be helping them. It's like, imagine like a general in a war, right? You got the general lieutenant and you got the cadets at the bottom, right? Imagine like the, the cadets are out there shooting guns on the front, the front line out there shooting and they look over and there's a general sitting right next to him, right in the foxhole, just shooting right now on movies. That might be like, yeah, he's down there in the thing, but who's planning? Like, who's in the back? Nobody is. And so now they get overrun and they all die. Right. The, the, yeah. the cadets would be like, get what are you doing down here like we don't want you here we want you uh, building something at a higher level so whenever i start to feel guilty about not doing the actual like day-to-day grind uh that's like that's when i tend to slip out of it. i start feeling guilty and i have to remember that i am a general and i actually use that that term it sounds this is gonna sound stupid but like i i constantly ask myself is this what the general would be doing that's a phrase i say to myself a hundred times a day maybe 20 times a day. Is this what a general would be doing in my life? If my life is a war and I'm the general of it, is this what the general should be doing? Uh, and a lot of times the answer is no, but the more I ask it, the more clarity I get on, uh, on that. And the more I can live in that identity of being the leader versus feeling guilty for not doing the DIY. And I, I, I put in my dues. Yes. No, you absolutely have. And I love, yeah. I love the, you, you have this pattern of reflection that you've talked about. What would David Osborne do? How would a general <laughs> handle this? Right? Like, I love that pattern of reflection. It makes me think about uh, uh, this other line of question. I have a couple things here, but, and by yeah. the way, I, I think I said to you like, ah, maybe we won't take the whole time. Oh, Screw we will. Take, take, yeah. We are I'm taking the whole time. time. <laughs> yeah. You I, agree I, to it. So I have never, I have never <laughs> finished a podcast early or on time. So. Well, good. Yeah. Like meets like, I love it. So, um, <laughs> 
Uh, How about right now? Like, what are some of the like you've talked your content, especially recently, has been more focused on, you know, mindset, habits, that sort of thing, which I love. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I said to you when I messaged you that time, like, man, this content has been like a level up. Not that it was bad before, but it's it just <laughs> I can feel something behind it. Right. I can feel like this this energy in you behind it, just as somebody who's watched you for so long. What is what are what are some of the habits right now that you're fully focused on or maybe a lead domino habit that you have right now? Like what is is there anything that you're doing tactically that's allowing you to be in this flow state right now that you feel links back to habits that you're executing on? Yeah, a couple a couple things. Um, I mentioned this when I was on the Graham Stephan podcast, you know, a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again now is I'm really intentional right now about adding margin in my life. And when I say margin, and I actually wrote this in the behind the beard, I think that comes out it was this week's or next week's behind the beard is about margin, but margin, like if you have a page, right, you have a, a book, you open up a book and there's a page there. Like there's a margin all around the outside of the book. There's also space in between every line. There's also space in between every word. There's space in between every letter, right? All that is margin, meaning space. And you see like without margin, it's just ink. It's just a blot of like unintelligible, like letters and words, right? It's margin that gives our, our lives the meaning and the beauty and the order and, and the progress and moving forward. And so I've been very intentional lately about adding more margin in my life, margin in my, my hours, like I'm taking time every hour if I can to like, just like breathe, taking time in my day. Like every morning I start every morning with a minimum 30 minutes of like margins, not just silence. And like, I'm not just sitting in a room humming, uh, you know, hum, my life is great. But like, I've got like a, a routine. I actually have a 10 step routine. I do every single morning. It starts very first thing on, I have actually written down. I look at it every morning, even though I know it, uh, drink a full glass of water. First thing, second thing, make a cup of coffee and actually go through the process of making it. It's kind of a meditative kind of thing. And then it's like, read one chapter of a business book. This is not in order, but read one chapter of the Bible. Um, uh, pray, meditate for five minutes. Um, uh, a few other ones on there anyway, like jump 50 jumping jacks, whatever. I've got like this list of 10, right? And that space in the morning helps align my day. Uh, then in my week, I take, I take Friday night to Saturday night off completely. No phone, no work, no shopping, no buying stuff, uh, no anything. It's a complete day of rest. It kind of borrows from the ancient Jewish, like idea of like Shabbat or Sabbath. Yep. Um, of like, let's just take a full, like, you know, and like if you go to Israel, like you can't even push like an elevator button in some places in like New York and other cities where there's a lot of Jewish, uh, influence, like you can't even like the elevators will just hit every single floor. Cause they don't even press a button on the elevator. Now I don't go quite that far, but the, the idea of like this day of rest is not some like legalistic, like do this because you know, you have to, because it's a religious, no, it's margin. That's all it is. It's like, as I heard a writer say, it's like a governor on your car. It's a governor on your week. It says like, you, you can only go this fast. Like we're not gonna let you go any faster. So take, taking time off in my week, taking that margin in my year by having intentional long breaks. Like I'm about to go on a three month road trip shortly all around the country. Uh, should be a good time. So I'm adding these like margin areas in my life. That's a, that's a big habit that has improved my life. The second thing is you mentioned the idea of like a domino lead habit. I like, I like, like, I think a lot about that. What are the habits in our lives that affect a lot of other areas of our life? Like there are habits like, okay, I want to, I want to stop drinking soda. That affects my, I don't, I don't really drink soda, but if let's say I did like that, that's like one habit that's good to focus on, but that one habit only affects one result, my weight, really. It's not going to improve my marriage by me drinking less soda. So what are the habits? What's a couple habits that if I do them, all areas of my life are better. 
I'll, t- I'll give you th- uh, three examples of my own life. Number one, when my relationship with my wife is good, every other area of my life is good, right? Like I eat better when we're like, when we're happy, we're having a great like marriage. Like I eat better. I'm a better father. I, I exercise more. I have more fun and joy. I like my work more. I like my day. Everything is better, right? So that's like one thing. If I focus on my relationship with my wife, every other area improves. Number two, um, journaling. Like when I do my morning like journal, uh, I actually wrote my own journal. It's called the Intention Journal from Bigger Pockets. They sell it there. Uh, but I like I literally like went through like twenty different people's journals or ten. I bought them all. I I went through each one for like three month process uh, over the course of several years took all the best things and put it in my own journal. I even printed my own. And then after a while I had bigger pockets, make them and sell them. But like, I just was like, I built my own journal. And again, you can do the same thing. You don't have to use mine. You can just get a a routine that gets you to like, write your goals down in the morning, where you headed, like what's going to stop you today. Uh, And then tracking your habits, like all that's included in that. So number one was a relationship with my wife. Number two was the habit of journaling. Number three is waking up by 6 a.m. If I wake up by 6 a.m., every other area of my life improves. So uh, I, I track it meticulously. I actually track uh, like six habits at a time and I track, did I do them every day? And so I, I say, did I wake up by 6 a.m.? Did I work out at least five times? And I do it by the week. So did I work out five times this week? Did I go on at least two dates with my wife? You know, did I, uh, you know, did I, whatever, take, take a whole day off of the phone? Like I track that stuff because those are the lead habits that are going to affect the rest of my life. Is there, I love that. I, I, that's such a great point about like the relationship with your wife. I'm the same. If everything's going well there, if I'm really invested there, I just feel better about doing everything I want. Yeah, everything else. Yeah. All right. It's so true. I'm just, this is a kind of a curiosity question because yeah. I think about all the things that you've done and created. It's in your bio, right? Best selling author, the podcast, you know, the intention journal, all this stuff. Is any of that force of will, like if I look back at what you've left on in the world, right? The books you've left, the intention journal, the content, whatever. When you track back, like, how, like you writing books, are you just in a, in like, I want to write a book. I'm going to do this. Is that, is that how a guy at your level, a guy that's achieving a guy that's in a peak performance state are the things that you've done in the past that now are, you know, best-selling books and intention journals, all this stuff. Are those because you were, you were, you were in flow every time or were any of these things just sheer force of will? Did you have to will yourself to any of the things that have come that have been successful in your life? Or is it all been because you're in a flow state with those? That's a great question. Let me, let me, I'll put it this way. So I just picked up the book, uh, Will. It's the Will Smith autobiography. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I only just started. I'm only, I read like three chapters so far. But in the first chapter, Will Smith tells a story. And he says that when he was a young child, him and his brother uh, were forced, basically, to build a brick wall in their like garage that then they, they fell down. So they, had to, they had to build a wall. And brick by brick had to do everything themselves. Like the dad would tell the boys, like, do it. So every day after school, weekends, whatever, they were just building this wall, brick by brick. And Will's complaining to his dad one day and just saying like, dad, this is going to take forever. We've been working on this for like a year now. And it's like, it's this wall will never get done. And his dad basically like slaps him upside the head and says, that's because you're looking at the wall. Don't look at the wall. Just put up the next brick. And Will uses that that metaphor in the same way that I will is that like, that life is not, when you look at like a big thing, like writing six books or uh, right. You know, whatever, building a $300 million open door capital, uh, whatever it, it's, it seems overwhelming. That's the wall. But in reality it was all just little bricks. Like everything was little bricks and there's, there's, there's tips and tricks that make the brick lane easier, but I'll, but I'll give you an example. When it comes to writing, a, writing a book, 
it's actually pretty easy because all I do is I write down the outline. I go to Starbucks. I write the whole outline in one day. That's super easy. Just write an outline. It's just like, okay, what do I want to talk about? Uh, and I don't leave Starbucks. That's one like sheer, like will day that I cannot leave Starbucks until the outline is done. It takes four five, six hours. I've got every chapter. I've got the sub chapters. I've got a little description of which sub chapter is going to be. And if you just sit there for six hours, anybody here can do the same thing. And I put each one on a note card. So at the end of the day, I've got roughly 10 chapters and 10 subchapters. So there's a chapter on financing. And then what do I want to talk about financing? How about FHA loans? Okay, great. So I've got the chapter financing and I've got a note card that says FHA loan. On the backside of the note card, it says FHA loan, down payment requirements, you know, other lending requirements, uh, the one year, you know, the, you have to live in the property for one year, blah, blah, blah. I've got like three or four or five bullet points in there. So now each note card is a brick. All I have to do is sit down and write 500 to a thousand words about that note card. That's it. So every day I show up and I'm like, okay, today I'm writing about FHA loans and here's my outline. I guess I got to talk about this, 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 and this with them. All right. And I can knock it out in about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and that's done. And then I close my computer and I go inside and I go do something else. Uh, the same is true for open door capital. We're like, we have, we have bricks. It's called analyzing real estate deals. We try to analyze a certain number. We make a certain number of offers, roughly 70 offers a quarter. Each one's a brick. So we're like, we don't worry about it. We're not looking at the wall. We're not saying, oh, we got to buy a billion dollars of real estate. No, we got to make an offer today. That's it. We got to make an offer. We got to analyze the deal. So yes, it's force of will, but it's almost more of like force of habit. Like I just lay the bricks and the stuff tends to get done over time. And when I look back, I can now be like, dang, that's a big wall. That's cool. <laughs> Great analogy, man. I love that. I got to get that book too. It sounds like. So that's, yeah, that's I know. I wish I invented that analogy. It's like, that's like a level, like David Green analogy right there. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Will true. Smith, Will Smith might have a career in like storytelling. He should look into that. I think he, he could should. do well as an actor. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he, he could be famous one day. I think he could West he Philadelphia. Could yeah. Born and raised. Right? Oh, I think so. Yeah. That's so cliche. So like, you know, 30 to 40, 35 to 45 year old, like, you know, so good, suburban yeah. kid. Stupid no, comment he, there. But. He does he does make the same joke in the book. He said, I should have started this with West Philadelphia born and raised, but I didn't. And he goes, Yeah. Anyway. Smart man. Smart man that he didn't. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we we're we're almost up against it here. I wanted to do uh, a couple of things. We have the GoBundance card game question I'm gonna ask at the end here. Ooh. But if you're cool with it, is that the one we get naked for? Uh, uh, yes. No, okay. we will be naked before it. Okay, good. Okay, good. It. Okay, good. I love that podcast Whew. idea, by the way. I think, yeah, I think so we good. need to, that might be a future, a future, the uh, naked uh, investor collab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I got the layer up though, because you oh, know, yeah, naked. yeah. You got to take a, one layer of clothing every time. Like David, David Green does an analogy. You just yeah. take off a layer of clothing. Perfect. Yeah. I need That's a lot of clothing. Yeah. yeah. Lot of clothing. Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Um, but let's do a, you just off the bigger pockets podcast. How about you want to run through a famous four? Let's do it. All right. So give me your favorite real estate book at this point. What is it? Favorite real estate book. Uh, I'm going to throw in there. Mm, other than the ones I've written, of course, because I think my books are pretty darn good. Uh, there's a book called uh, The Unofficial Guide to Real Estate Investing by Spencer Strauss. And there's another author in there. I feel bad if you're listening to this and you're the other author. I forgot your name. But The Unofficial Guide to real estate investing. The unofficial guide is like a whole series of books, like unofficial guide to sewing or underwater basket weaving, kind of like the dummies guide. Yeah. But that book was just phenomenal. I remember I read it when I was like 20 and it was like the best, like clear, like, like layout of like a career in real estate and how it compounds over time to build wealth. I just thought it was super like nerdy and cool. So that's the, that's still one of the first books I ever read and still one of my favorites. 
love it. I love it. What about, what is it? Uh, non-real estate or business book? Is that what the second question yeah. is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're so, uh, I mean, I could name I know a you've million, read a ton. Right? I, I, I do a lot yeah. of reading. So what's yeah. like in your mind when you say like this, this book right now is resonating with me. The E-Myth by Michael Gerber is phenomenal. It's a little bit of a weird book, but it's so good in helping you become more of the architect, really. Like that's a lot of the book is about, it's about that concept. Uh, the book Traction, if you have a team of people that work with you, there's a book called Traction by Gina Wickman that helps you know how to run a company. It's like, this is the manual, the Bible for running a company. We run our entire Open Door Capital on the EOS framework, which is what Traction teaches. Uh, there's a great book out there. It is called, uh, where is that? The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, Chip Heath and Dan Heath, The Power of Moments. It's a great marketing book on like, people don't remember, like people remember magical little moments. So if there's little things you can do in your business to make people, um, to make your company stand out or your, who you are stand out, that's, that's the stuff that matters. Um, like taking a picture with my shirt off and, uh, yeah, that kind of great stuff. marketing, great marketing. It'll yeah, be out soon. Yeah, um, it's great marketing. So yeah, those are pretty release. good ones. It will be on my Instagram feed. You got to go back and watch it by the time this releases. I don't want to ask about hobbies because I think we all know what they are. Like, you know, I, I probably don't know all. Yeah, surfing jujitsu. You talked about, <laughs> you talked about this trip. Uh, yeah. What's this trip about? Like, how did you map it? Is it an RV type trip? If you don't mind, give me yeah. a little bit of detail of what you're planning to do. Yeah, I'm going to get an Airstream and a truck and just drive from Phoenix to Seattle the long way around. Uh, so we'll, we'll go from Phoenix. I gotta be, I gotta be in Phoenix for an event. Uh, and then I gotta be in uh, Florida, like three weeks later for a wedding. And then I gotta, so I'm like, hey, I might as well just drive it. And then I'm like, well, if I'm going to drive that far. I might as well go visit my brother in Boston. And I'm like, ah, as long as I'm in Boston, I might as well go see my parents in Minnesota. And as long as I'm in Minnesota, I might as well just drive over to Coeur d'Alene to see my, my, my good friend, uh, Adam. And then as long as I'm going to be there, I might as well go back to the in-laws in Seattle. And so I'm just going to do a nice long two or three month trip with the kids and the family and explore everything I can. So I love it. Maybe I'll be coming through your town. You never know. Yeah. Well, Hey, if you're in Michigan, you know where to, you know where to reach me. <laughs> I'm going to avoid that state. <laughs> no, actually I got some mobile home. I got actually a number of mobile home oh, parks in do. Michigan. So I will be actually driving through Michigan. Uh, the goal is actually to hit as many of my mobile home parks as I can along the way. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Marketing. That's, Good marketing. That's, that's awesome. Yes, it is. And if you need anything along the way, you just let me know. And then the last oh, one, oh, I will, uh, I will. I'm staying in your house. So just, yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> we have room. We have room. You guys are more than welcome. Park um, in the Airstream right in your front yard. It's going to be great. Big <laughs> the neighbors will truck. love it. Yeah, they're going to love it. It's going to be great. They'll love it. It's all right. We're at the end of a cul-de-sac. So it's a dead end. Yeah, There's no, perfect. no traffic comes down this I way. I just park in the middle of the road then. Who cares? It's great. Gives a crap. Exactly. <laughs> what about this last question about the thing that, uh, the difference between what successful investors and those that give up, fail, and never get started? What, what is your, what is your take on that? They're lucky. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, cool. We'll move on. <laughs> uh, so to, to a degree, that's true. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you a story about luck. Sure. So one of my favorite things to do in Hawaii, uh, in Maui is called whale. Well, we call it whale hunting. You're not literally hunting a whale, but what we do is we grab a bunch of paddle boards or kayaks, but I like paddle boards. And you, you do this during the winter when we get the, the, the humpback whales are everywhere. Like right now I can look at the ocean where I am right now. And if I sat here staring for like 10 seconds, I'd see a whale. They're amazing. So kayak or paddleboard, you just paddle out into the ocean about a mile, maybe two miles out. Pretty sketchy, a little bit nervous the first time, but you're fine. The waves are usually pretty small in the morning. So you're paddling out there with a whole bunch of people. And what you're doing is you're looking for the whale, the signs of the whale. So you see the whale spout, like the, the mist, like on the top of it, or you see a whale jump. And that's one of the best things ever. And they're like, you know, a half mile away, mile away. But what you do is you watch that whale and you see which way the whale's going. 
Now, you cannot get within 100 yards of a whale. You can't go and approach a whale, get within 100 yards of them. That's a rule. But whales, they don't have that rule. They can get within 100 yards of you. So here's the key to whale hunting is you look at the direction the whale is going, and then you try to just get way in front of it. And if you're lucky, the whale is going to come up right next to you. And I've been within like arm's reach of these massive, massive like school bus size whales. They've been underneath me. Uh, they've been all around me. I've watched calves like, you know, nursing on their mother out there. It is the most incredible experience I've ever, ever done. Uh, and the adrenaline's pumping. Cause you're like, I could die at any second if this thing jumps and crushes me. Yeah. It is the craziest experience. Now, why do I tell this story? So here I am out in the water sitting next to a whale and the thing's like flapping his tail and jumping and the people sitting on the beach, they're looking out there and they see me on a, on a paddleboard right a mile offshore next to a whale. And what do they say to themselves? Lucky man. Look at that guy. He's lucky. Now, am I lucky? A hundred percent. Yes, I'm lucky. Like I, like there is no guarantee. And in fact, the last three times I've gone out whale hunting, I've not gone within a quarter mile of a whale. Like they, I've not gotten close. I've not gotten lucky. However, more often than not, we get lucky because I got the, the paddle board. I hauled it onto my truck. I drove down to the water. I threw it in the water. I then paddled out past the break. I then went out as far as I could. I looked for the direction of the whale. I got in front of it and then I waited and then I waited and then I waited and then it didn't come. And so I see another whale and I go paddle in front of that one and I wait and I wait and I wait. And then finally it pops up and I am lucky. It is 100% luck that a whale pops up next to you. Yet we have a one. I don't know, I'd call it 95% ability to influence that luck. So what separates successful people from those who give up, fail, or never get started? It's luck. It's luck, but they put themselves in the way of it. Man, another mic drop moment there. I love that. I love that. That's incredible. And uh, it's so (laughs) true. That's so true. That's a great, great analogy or story for it. So, all right, let's wrap this with a question from the GoBundance card game. And the question is, what would your employees This is a story all about how my, oh, rap, W-R-A-P. Rap. I thought it was, I thought it was R-A-P. I thought you wanted me to rap. Well, if you'd like to. I know, yeah, you're a singer too. You're a renaissance man. You do a little bit of everything. Um, I don't rap. That's (laughs) for sure. You just did though. (laughs) You just kind of, anyway. um, just did, that's true. what would your employees say are your greatest opportunities for improvement? Mm, I talk too much <laughs> uh, on pod, uh, podcast. I definitely talk too much. Um, I don't know. <laughs> what would they say? There's a lot. Uh, I'm really bad at negative feedback. I never give people negative feedback. I'm so bad at it. That's why I hire a COO. He can give everyone negative feedback, but like, I, I never tell people to do things better or like that they did a bad job. And most of the time my team doesn't cause they're awesome and they're rock stars, but I can improve on the uh, giving people negative feedback cause they need it. Like the yeah. general sometimes has to tell the, uh, the cadet he's shooting in the wrong direction, but I'm sure. more, my, my instinct is when I see the cadet shooting in the wrong direction, I'll be like, Hey, good job. And then I'll go just go pick up a gun and start shooting in the right direction to compensate for his wrong direction shooting rather than go and yell at the guy and tell him to turn around and shoot the right way. I think that's a uh, that's a downfall of like the whatever you want to call it, like the 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 extrovert the the D, the I in yeah, dis- the high I yep right yeah like that whole thing that's, that's me, me. I, same thing like I I would rather like no nah, let's figure out how we can do it better that's all as yeah. opposed to yeah like this was bad like I yeah. hate those conversations yeah. sometimes hey, you have to have idiot them, but I, yeah, <laughs> yeah right yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly yeah and there's a nice way to do it obviously but yeah. yeah. 
Well, I, you have a look, I don't know who isn't already that's listening to this podcast, but uh, if people wanted to follow you, learn more about you, where do you want to direct them? Whether it's the text platform, your Instagram account, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and learn more about what you're doing over the next few months, especially? Hey, you can follow me by going down to Alua Beach, usually on Saturday mornings, and we'll go whale hunting. You can follow me right out there. It'd be great. <laughs> Digitally, if you want to follow me at Beardy Brandon over on Instagram and TikTok and probably other places, but Beardy Beard with a Y. By the way, I once told somebody Beardy Brandon. I was like, Beard with a Y. And so they're like, okay, B-Y-R-D Brandon. I'm like, no, 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 Beardy, like Y at the end. So apparently when I say Beard with a Y, I have to say like Beard and a Y. And a Y at the end. Yeah. Beard, Y, Brandon. It could be like Spanish. Oh. Beard E. Brandon. Beard hey, and Brandon. Yeah, Beard and Brandon. Beard, yeah. why Brandon? That's Spanish. I never thought that of that. Sounds like a meal you'd get like at a local. Uh, Beard and Brandon. Beard and Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> well, have you ever, if that, is that beard ever potentially coming off? Never, never. I will die with this beard to okay. my toes. Uh, is it because of the brand? Like if you. I grew the beard because of the brand. That was an intentional choice. Uh, I literally was like, I am like the, I'm like every other average looking tall, lanky, skinny white dude in the world who's not so skinny anymore. But. I'm like every other looking guy. And I'm like, how do I stand out? How do I, how do I make myself look different and people to remember me? How do I not just be the same? And so I thought if I grew a beard, I might stand out. I just thought about like tall, skinny, well-known people with a long beard. There's one other guy that jumps to mind that I don't think you'd want to be associated with. Ooh, probably not then. Bin Laden. Just, you know, oh, throwing that out. Oh, there. is he tall? Oh man, this is He's coming like off six, today. Eight. He was, well, get, he was. I, get not, me a scissors right now. Oh, we're taking it off. I don't know why that went to my brain. It's like, see, yeah, there's no cover. So things just kind of come mm. directly out of, out of the air into the brain. There's nothing like to filter it before I, before I think and say stupid things. So uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's good. And he's dead. So we, uh, I'm the only one left. Like I said earlier, right. This is a full circle interview. In the beginning, I said, there can't be another Jamie Gruber out there. You yeah. have to kill him. And so, uh, there can't be another Brandon Turner, tall bearded looking thin guy. guy. Yeah. So we killed him. <laughs> Hey, I appreciate you doing that. I know you're about to go kind of off the grid for a bit. I love that you jumped on. I appreciate mm. you taking the time as always. It's great connecting with you. I appreciate not only the discussion. I mean, you don't even realize what you said to me in Steamboat, how much that unlocked me as, oh, as well thanks. as the stuff I follow with you. So I really, truly appreciate the time with you today. Well, I'm sorry that the uh, hair growth methods I gave you didn't quite work, but you know, keep trying, man. I just keep shaving <laughs> it down. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you soon. See you later. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 